Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Business Ninjas. I'm here today with Aaron Ryder, Managing Partner of Sales and Marketing at Interprose. How are you doing today, Aaron? Great. How are you? I am good, thank you. Appreciate you spending some time with us on Business Ninjas. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and about Interprose. Well, um, I'll start with Interprose. Interprose has been about around for around 27 years. Started as a small uh, boutique software company, and about 12 years ago, made the decision to start developing a more enterprise level um, platform. And seven years ago now, uh, they hired me to come in and retool the corporate image and uh, sales and marketing strategy. My background, um, I have an advertising degree from Washington State University and a minor in social psychology, which apparently just groomed me for a, a career in sales. <laughs> but I spent time in the wireless infrastructure uh, market. I was uh, 12 years as a medical sales um, representative selling a procedure and technology for the treatment of various cancers um, that had me away from my family a lot. So I started exploring some stuff that would keep me home. And a buddy of mine is the CTO here at Interprose and recruited me to, you know, work on this initiative that they had to retool their their uh, their external communications. Um, so that has since turned into an ownership stake in the organization, which is fantastic. Excellent. Well, that's quite a trajectory. And uh, as somebody who used to spend a fair bit of time on the road, I like being home and I like my family and I, I want to be around, right? It's well, not... now that we work from home, it's uh, we kind of marinate in it, which is... <laughs> It's going too far in the other direction. Now you want to go back on the road? <laughs> well, there are moments. I'm sure my wife would agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about what Interprose is doing these days. What sort of platform you got? So Interprose offers a, it's a SaaS uh, software model, um, and it is in the financial services vertical. Our specific target audience is uh, specializes in the recovery of delinquent debt. So uh, whether it's a third-party space of contingency debt recovery uh, or first party where we actually work with the companies that are the original creditors and want to manage that process themselves. So oftentimes the debt will be charged off on the, and other times it is just we call early out or in its beginning phases of delinquency but the platform that we've developed uh, is uh, it's an open architecture uh, SaaS uh, browser delivered platform that is man it's almost infinitely adjustable uh, there's a knob for just about everything uh, to suit everybody's secret sauce honestly when I came into the market I, I didn't even I didn't even conceive that there each of these strategies would be different with each of the customers, but uh, there are so many subspecialties in this space uh, that that having the platform be um, have it get, developing a platform that has the ability to be configured to that uh, customer's needs has been part of the messaging that I was uh, you know kind of tasked with conveying to the market. Uh, I'm going to guess that 
unfortunately in this economy there's far too much of a need for a platform like yours ha huh. yeah it you know it's interesting i i don't know kind of go down a complete rabbit hole of of the the debt recovery space and how it's villainized and um and my own journey of of my own personal um uh, you know impressions of what this market would be like and what it actually is uh, and that can be a, that could be a whole hour uh but they they work this really interesting balance of uh, a tightrope act between the creditors who you know supply the the account that's delinquent and then the um, consumers or commercial entities or whoever the responsible party is who owes the debt. And that's where the money comes from. So they're actually getting paid by the consumer, but they have to satisfy these two um, individuals or entities that uh, have diametrically opposed goals. So what we found is the the collection agencies or departments actually know people better than anybody I've ever met. Uh, and they are mediators and they have amazing skills at diffusing tension uh, and the folks that run these agencies tend to be legacy family-owned businesses that go back three generations and it's just been a fascinating market to to serve I, I you, you got a really human onion at every turn in that sort of equation totally yeah what what are the most common problems you're solving for your clients oftentimes it is the manual uh, processes that they uh, they engage in and have always engaged in. So having the ability to take an objective process uh, that is redundant and and makes work suck uh, and and having the ability to automate it in some way with a platform that has uh, you know process automation native to it. Uh, is life-changing for a lot of these folks. We had uh, uh, I'll tell you an interesting story just as a kind of a microcosm example of, of where this can be applied. Um, invoicing clients for our customers can be an arduous task and they make it, they can have hundreds of clients that are, you know, kind of giving small numbers of account. And it means that their, their monthly invoicing can be, can take days. It would spill into the next month by a week as they're reconfiguring reports and doing all these manual tasks and making sure that, that the information is delivered to each client in the way the client wants it to be delivered. So we had a, a, a user meeting in Nashville and we had some of our existing customers and some of our uh, prospective customers there. And one of the prospective customers was detailing this you know, the situation that they have every single month, it's the month in spills into the next month. And somebody laughed in the back of the room. Uh, and I was like, oh, why is that funny? Right. And she didn't think it was funny either. So the, our prospective customer, who is now a customer, actually, she whips her head around. And she's like, I don't think it's funny. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not laughing at you. I, I swear, I'm, I, I know what you're talking about, because that was my life before I upgraded my software. And now I, the last day of the month, I go home at five o'clock and the reports run overnight and the remits go out and, and I'm home making dinner with my family. It changed my life. So for us, the, you know, the communicating to the prospective customers that it's not just a professional change that you should expect, but a personal one. And we change lives. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's rewarding. That's pretty fun. Yeah. 
if you can solve a problem and change the work-life balance at the same time, I mean, that's that's an invaluable service, right? I think so. Yeah, it's it's kind of, it, it's an interesting, subjective, almost uh, intangible thing to try to convey in a way that, that resonates uh, and doesn't sound salesy or smarmy. <laughs> like, you know, you don't want to be a, a collection software company that says, we change lives, but we kind of do. And that's not, I like, there's a, there's an interesting story about a copper mine in Utah. And I don't, I don't know if it's, um, you know, one of the big ones or, or, but they supply copper primarily to a medical device firm. So their, their slogan is we save lives. They're copper mine, you know, and the whole staff's behind it. And they get the, you know, this, this culture that they have where they buy in as a miner, as somebody who drives the truck down into the copper pit, you know, all these, all these folks, if, they, if anybody asked them, family, friends, strangers at a, at a party, what do you do? Their first response is I save lives. <laughs> and I just, I find that inspiring. Like I, I would, you know, any company, uh, if you could kind of get behind uh, that kind of messaging would be, very powerful, not for employer retention and for recruiting, but also for your messaging to your market. Um, and people like to be part of a story. They like to be part of something that is bigger than, you know, just a software application that they're going to be paying monthly for. Absolutely. Aside from from this ability to shift the landscape and in, in the work-life balance uh, equation, what differentiates you in the market? What what makes Enterprise stand out from its competition? Most of our competition is still offering on-premise or um, hosted solutions, where the they're you know the the customer is still kind of responsible for the infrastructure. So it might be a local um, you know data a warehouse or something where they're they've got servers that are off-site, but it's still like having it in the closet down the hall. It's just mm -hmm not in their business uh, building four walls <laughs> um, offering a true SaaS solution where the monthly um, commitment comes with uh, you know the infrastructure behind it that supports it the audit certificates the compliance certificates all the things that we're able to supply as a nature and you know through the nature of our AWS infrastructure and the way it's it's architected is a differentiator for us. And honestly, we were ahead of our skis. When I first came on seven years ago, um, the businesses that we were talking to are still still not too sure about data in the cloud. Like, what is that? And, and I, why would I want it in the cloud? I like it down the hall. I know where it is. Um, and, you know, and it's so... And there's a lot of you know early confusion with using the terminology in the cloud, but people pretty much understand now that it's a physical location uh, that is highly secure, and it is actually more secure than down the hall, and uh, you know in the building. Um, plus the backups and the, the redundancy for power, you know all all the stuff that comes with you know using a, a, a large um, you know, data house like like AWS. So that's a that turns out to be a pretty a pretty big differentiator for us in the market, especially now that everybody's actually clamoring for that kind of um, you know service instead of 
owning it and maintaining servers. Let's do that. You know, they're one of our one of our lines is like you focus on collections, we'll take care of the rest of the stuff. Right? You focus on what you do. And I think as any service provider, uh, if you can convey that you're going to take care of the minutia or you're going to take care of the things that they're not professionally trained to do in a, in a way that, you know, they're, they're highly proficient or uh, aren't wasting their time learning something that, that they're not actually going to make money from. Um, that's a pretty powerful message to be able to convey. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's been a, that's been another pretty big differentiator for us for sure. Hey, 2023 people have to wear a ton of hats at work and get more done than they've ever been asked to. So if you can free them up to do what they were there for in the first place, that's that's a huge win, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you can if you can tell your customers that they're going to have more time to go grow their business, and you're going to facilitate that and their bandwidth is going to increase as a result of the investment they make in whatever you're providing. Big uh, deal. What what verticals are you servicing? Who are your clients with this product? Well, I think right now our numbers are, our majority is a third-party uh, contingency-based debt recovery space. So um, your your classic collection agency, and a variety of verticals, everything from commercial to consumer to government um, focus or education debt, a lot of healthcare debt, honestly. Um, and then um, our next largest segment is the first party or the original creditors, you know, companies that manage their own debt internally. Um, sometimes the metric there is that they don't want to be perceived as sending it to an agency or they're desperate to maintain the relationship with the customer and they just want to get them right so that because the, the consumer will come back and spend money at their grocery store or whatever, you know, those highly competitive markets that are, are low, low margin, they don't, they really cannot afford to lose a, a customer. So they tend to keep those debts in house. And the last, uh, you know, my kind of minor space, I think would be the government space, um, uh, you know, counties, cities, uh, those, those folks are um, longer, longer sales cycles, large RFP projects, um, decision makers are a lot of stakeholders in those those arrangements and early on well, we didn't have a infrastructure to kind of support that so that's been growing um, over the last few five years excellent let's talk about the last couple of years i'm going to assume that the the collections industry was very busy during covid as people lost jobs and had health crises and all sorts of things like that tell me how you managed to sustain and grow your business through covid <laughs> you know, uh, counterintuitively, anybody listening to this is going to be like, oh, yeah, I bet that was a hard time. It wasn't um, the the government stipends for the COVID uh, monies that came out. Um, the number of folks who were unemployed or underemployed during that period of time um, wasn't that big. I mean, from a, you know, a, a percentage basis of, of the country. So yeah, yes, there were folks who were struggling and they, and that those stipends helped them get through that period of time to, you know, obviously a point now where we're running very low unemployment rates. Um, but it was a boon to the collection space because everybody got the money regardless of what their employment status was, which meant they had all this extra cash to pay off these debts because, um, and, and they saw, I mean, 
it was like boom times for, for the agencies. They, they're, you know, they were reporting uh, amazing financials during that period of time. For us, it was just, it was great. Uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to classify it as us benefiting from a pandemic, uh, but that wasn't, it wasn't how this, you know, it should be phrased. Uh, but the government's response to the pandemic in terms of giving out, you know, um, stipends to folks, regardless of their employment status, meant that a lot of the population had the extra capital, um, you know, to to pay down their debts. Uh, and and now, actually, it's a it, it's coming out of COVID where the industry is having to regroup and figure out what to do without that you know, the influx of capital to the, the man on the street. I had no idea that was going on. I didn't realize people were behaving themselves with those those government handouts and, and using them to pay down debt as opposed to just, you know, existing. Oh, no, for the most part, people do the right thing with money. Uh, you know, we, we, the individual, if you look at the data right now on the individual debt profile, um, we are again approaching a period when, the average uh, American citizen is living beyond their means again, which is not a good sign. Um, and, but the debt recovery industry is typically relatively insulated from economic ups and downs. During downtimes, the economy is down and the unemployment's up. There are more accounts that are sent out, right? There's more debts that are sent off for mm -hmm. recovery. Now the the recovery rate is lower, but by percentage, you know it it evens out. Um, you know, as soon as the economy is doing really well and people have money to pay their debts, there's fewer debts being sent off or, or fewer placements. We call them placements in the industry. Um, but the recovery rate is higher, so it kind of evens out. Like you know, everybody's it's it's a relatively insulated market from the economy you know economic ups and downs there's they have their own um issues with when you know when they're comfortable investing in their business and uh and that impacts us directly as as a as an organization that benefits when uh those companies invest um but from a you know if you look at their overall trajectory you know year over year um income has been relatively stable um correlating its technology however what can they achieve with the same number of employees um we're seeing the number of employees drop because technology is taking the space of employees in many places uh, they just don't need the people to do the manual work anymore or they can make one person be so much more efficient with so many more accounts um, which is part of actually what our role is in the organization. Yep, excellent. All right, let's put on your marketing hat for a second. Um, okay. What role has content played in the growth of Interprose? Initially, it played a significant role. Um, when I came on, they had a, uh, a, a, a spaghetti against the wall Um you know, kind of strategy and they're, and they're using, you know, Google AdWords and uh, trying to use Facebook. And, you know, it was very ineffective The you know, the marketing directly to consumers uh, is not, uh, it's, it's a B2B sale. So um, I chose to pursue a content strategy in order to boost our 
uh, SEO, uh, make sure that when a business searched for, say, debt collection software, that our company would come up and hopefully get on the first page. First page is really hard to get to in our space. I think I went through that with you the other day uh, in the a lot of the software comparison websites uh, take up the majority of the first page rule, uh, roles. Um, and then something changed uh, and I kind of stopped writing the, the blog posts or, or getting those done because it didn't appear to be making any difference at all. And I attended a couple of seminars where like the Google algorithm has changed and it's no longer, you know, weighting those as heavily on the new content and there's you need to focus on h1 and h2 tags and i don't know man it, it's all alchemy to me so uh, i was pivoted to um, a strategy where we uh, i provided content in the form of speaking events uh, so i wormed my way into the trade show circuit as a speaker uh, and kind of got more uh, visible uh, through the organization by branding the organization uh, around that content strategy, being a technology leader, but doing it in person. Um, so now we're now we're going back to a point where uh, online content is probably um, a, a good investment to start making as well. So, oh, it, yeah. it it most certainly is. Oddly enough, some people seem to think of blogs as passe. They've been around for a while. Um, given Google's most recent algorithm updates, they may be more effective now than ever in terms of that sort of consistency and messaging and volume and velocity of content that Google's looking for. Uh, a blog is a straight line to getting and keeping their attention. So, you know, at least for the next year a, or so, <laughs> it's a, it seems a little, you know, cyclical as it were, but it, it it's definitely a very viable tool in 2023. All right. Let's look a year down the road at 2024. What are mm -hmm. some things you'd like to be celebrating personally and professionally? Um, I mean, now that I'm an owner, a lot of that stuff has to do with, um, you know, profit margin and gross, uh, you know, income and, and number of customers and stuff. I hired another salesperson who uh, was kind of a well-known industry um, personality. And a year from now, if I am, if I'm being updated at meetings uh, about his activity rather than sitting on every call or 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 every or, or performing de uh, product demonstrations uh, for him, uh, oh man, that's going to be a that that'll be a fun time. Um, but overall, for the organization, um, a year from now, our goal is to have. Um, built our our name up in a couple more verticals uh within within our space so you know like first party space and, and others where we're we're establishing footholds to help uh, grow the organization excellent please tell us what's your url where can people find interpros and what social media outlets are using these days as well all right so interpros is a is a made up word uh Inter, I-N-T-E-R, and pros, P-R-O-S-E. So I-N-T-E-R-P-R-O-S-E.com, uh, which originally was mashed together because inter being between, pros being uh, language, uh, and the original product was a data mapping tool. Uh, so that was sort of the, <laughs> the, uh, the beginnings of, of how the organization was named. 
So interpros.com is where we can be found. Being it's B2B, our primary social media presence is on LinkedIn. Gotcha. Aaron Ryder of Interpros, thank you for spending some time with us on Business Ninjas. I wish you and yours all the best and continued success at Interpros. Thanks, Andrew. My pleasure. Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E dot I-O, and schedule a time to meet with us and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.